You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Galatians 5, um, verse 16 and 17 is where we'll be, but don't stand at this point. We've had a few messages on music uh, on Sunday nights, just kind of felt led to make a, maybe a little bit of a shift in direction on Sunday nights for um, a short while. We'll get back into Nehemiah, I believe, Lord willing, uh, in the next few weeks, but, but just kind of felt like this was something that I'd like to establish or, or preach about. It was something I was hoping to get to pretty soon in my, my tenure here as pastor, and it just seemed like the right time after missing a couple Sunday nights. Just wanted to insert it. We're going to continue, though, the thought on biblical music philosophy. And the last time we were, we were in this series, we were talking about just different things about music and how it's a universal language and, and it's a powerful medium. It's very saturating. You can't go anywhere without hearing music these days. I mean, in the restaurant, in the store, at the stoplight, I mean, it seems like everyone's playing music. And because it's so saturating, we need to know where we stand as Christians. Uh, it's something that uh, we sometimes get kind of left behind or left off to the side is not really a core subject, but we need some solid footing because if you don't have filters, you can stream any, music, any song from any sub, on any subject from any artist at any time. And a lot of young people especially, and maybe that this is for parents as well as we deal with helping our young people know what to, where they stand and what the, to believe about music. I read recently the average American listens to almost 35 hours of music a week. And I don't, I don't believe that that's inaccurate. I mean, if you just, you can ac- almost accidentally listen to 35 hours of music a week. You know, whether or not it's from your own phone or your own, your own device or from your own stereo and your own car, um, it could also be from the person that sits next to you at work. Anybody have an office job and the person next to you is listening to music constantly or, or you work in an environment that's playing a certain kind of music constantly? We need to know where we stand. We need to know uh, how, to, how to combat this if it's not helpful to us. And something that's being pumped into our ears that much needs some attention. But tonight I'm not going to just rail on music. That's not my point. I want to give you a filter, like I said last time, through which to analyze your music, to maybe be a help to you. So this is a more a practical message, a, a principled message that I think you could take then and apply. And we need it because music influences us. Uh, if you've ever, ever been walking in the store and not even realizing it, I do this all the time, um, where you just walk to the beat of the music. And without even realizing it, boy, you're keeping good time as you're headed to the aisle you need to go to. Uh, you, there's a song, if it plays once, it seems to get in your head and you can't get it out of your head. And I'm not going to give any of those songs to you tonight. I think I almost caused a church split last time when I talked about Baby Shark. And so I won't mention any songs tonight just because uh, out of respect, so... You know, many Christians today, they say that music is all moral. It doesn't have effect on them or, or it doesn't have any influence on them. But, you know, Aristotle uh, said himself, music directly represents the passions or states of the soul. 
It represents gentleness and anger and courage and temperance. And he said if one listens to the wrong kind of music, he will become the wrong kind of person. But conversely, if he listens to the right kind of music, he will tend to become the right kind of person. What Aristotle was saying, along with many other thinkers throughout history, they say music creates emotion. And if you feed certain emotions through music, you will eventually act them out. And I, and I mentioned last time I have a friend, and I, a grown man, but he talked about all of his mistakes. And most of his mistakes when he was younger came as he was listening to rock music. The first time he took alcohol, the first time he smoked a cigarette, the first time he came physically active with a young lady, music playing in the background. It's almost universal that experts say music is the language of human emotion. And it seems though that like the only people saying that music doesn't affect them or that music is harmless or that music is amoral are Christians that try to justify the music they're listening to. You know, Mike Coyle, and I read this a couple of times, but... He says, he came up with a a form of deductive reasoning. He says, not all emotions are good ones. Surely man and his emotions were created in the image of God. But man has fallen. And with him has gone the purity with which he was created. Hate, when directed at sin, is good and acceptable. But when it's directed at a brother in Christ, it is sin. Anger is unacceptable except when the one who is angry is not sinning. That's a biblical truth. An emotion like lust is never right. It is an adulteration of a God-given emotion. And he says, and this is a great point, since music is an emotional language, and since some emotions are wrong for the child of God, then some music is wrong for the Christian. We need to stop trying to use the argument that music doesn't convey a meaning because it does. Last time I gave you some scenarios. I gave you... a, a and asked you what kind of music you think is playing. It's a, at night, there's a football team. They've just beaten their crosstown rival, and they're speeding through the hills. What kind of music is playing? You can hear it. You're, you're sitting in the, de- thank you, you're sitting in the dentist chair. What kind of music is playing? Is he playing heavy metal? Or is he trying to play something that gets you to calm down? You're sitting in a low-lit, elegant restaurant with the person that you love. What kind of music is playing? See, people say, well, music doesn't convey meaning, but all of us, if we're being honest with ourselves, could come in the general vicinity to say that that kind of music is what would be playing in that setting, because whether or not we like to admit it as Christians, music conveys meaning. It it conveys a mood. It, It conveys emotion. It can excite us or calm us or put us at ease or make us tense. It can make us reflective, it can put us on edge, it can get us moving. And it's not just the music. The lyrics are important. See, the lyrics of the music we listen to, those affect us as well. And many Christians fill their minds with lyrics that send a message in direct opposition to God's Word. And because it's packaged in music, they don't even realize it. Satan's been influencing the minds of people with his messages, using the medium of music and often... We don't even know what's happening. If someone was to come in and quote the lyrics to your favorite song in your living room, I imagine a lot of Christians would say, no, don't say that here. But you package it in music and suddenly it's palatable. Suddenly it it kind of bypasses the part of us that's logical or reasonable and, and and, and just goes straight to our emotion 
and cause, causes a response in our body. Listen, we cannot fill our minds with thoughts that go against God's word and it not affect us. Most of us agree that fornication and the love of money and rebellion are not right. We shouldn't be involved in it. But you put that, music, that message to music and you make it available on Spotify or uh, in Apple Music and Christians are all over it. You know, these are exactly the reasons we need to know where we stand and why on this subject because you, come, you become what you think. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You have to protect yourself. And the only way to really protect yourself is to know where you stand according to the Bible, to this book. You think you'll be the exception, but what you feed your mind will show up in the way that you live. The problem is that many Christians, they develop their philosophy with that question, what's wrong with it? And really, we looked at last time in Ephesians 5, 8, and 10, it says, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. To prove means to test or examine. Listen, the burden doesn't lie with, with your pastor or with some mature Christian in your life to prove why your music is wrong. The burden lies with you to prove why it's right. The question should not be what's wrong with it. The question should be what's right with it. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, prove all things. We are commanded to prove all things as acceptable to God. To prove means to test or examine. So can you prove your music to be acceptable to the Lord? I know this, this starts to get heavy hitting. And, and I, I'm asking you these probing questions. And it gets very much more personal when you get into this subject before when it was just music as it relates to the church or music as it relates to the house of God, we're all saying amen. We need to protect this place. But I know what, can, what it can be like when you start to probe and get a little bit more personal into someone's music philosophy. Listen, my, my purpose tonight is not to stand up here and rail on what's on your iPhone. That's not it at all. But I hope that you'll see by the end of it, I want to give you a process that helps you filter your music for yourself. See, the point of us discussing music is that we think biblically about it. You know, we need to see it from God's perspective. We're Bible-believing Christians, aren't we? So why is it then that we, would, that we would skip the Bible part when it comes to something like music and just make it a matter of preference? You know, but music, they, people say music is different. It's an issue. It's more about preference. It's more about your style or your taste. And, and that's where many of God's people then slip into this trap of what, what I'll call tonight the great exemption. See, part of the reason music is so controversial in the Christian realm is that most people say that the, that the Bible is silent about music boundaries. They say, well, you know, the Bible talks about music and it does say singing and it does say instruments and psalms and hymns and praise. And they say, but all it really ever says is that we're supposed to be involved in it. It doesn't really give us a clear line as to what kind of music we should be using. They say that, well, after the Bible verses about music and psalms and singing, after those verses, then it's just personal preference. The mistake, though, is to assume that only the verses that mention music can be applied to music. Again, I'll say that the, the mistake is to assume that only the verses that say music are allowed to be applied to music. See, if we follow that logic, 
That means that anything that's not mentioned specifically in the Bible is neither right or wrong. If the Bible doesn't say it, then it's open game. It's fair game. And so then I would say to you, well, what about smoking? You know, and I'm not standing up here trying to bash smoking, but there are principles in God's word that lead us to believe that smoking's not good for a Christian. What about drugs? You know, the Bible doesn't talk about the kind of hallucinogenic drugs that, I've, that we have on the streets today. It doesn't say anything about it. So are we then going to say, well, because the Bible doesn't say anything about cocaine, you know, no, no Christian would follow that logic, so then why would we then say that music is the exemption? Music is the exception. My pastor, Wayne Hardy, there in, in Stillwater, he, that, he came up with the phrase, the great exemption, because, he, again, he says many Christians, they take Bible principles and apply them to every area of their life. They'll take a Bible principle and they'll apply it to the way they parent. They'll apply it to the way that, that, that the things that they watch. They'll, they'll apply it to the way that they dress. They'll apply it to this and that. But they'll leave music out of it. And in reality, there are many general principles found in the Bible that don't have a specific application. And therefore, they can be applied to all of life, including music. If we were to simply apply Bible truths to music like we do other areas, we would have a much more solid biblical music philosophy. And that's the process I want to walk you through tonight. I, I don't know that it's going to take us real long, but I, I, I just want you to see the way that I think it would be good for us as Bible believers to think and apply God's Word to things like music. Let's look at Galatians five sixteen and 17. Paul, said, Paul writes, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. So I want you to understand, and, and I'm going to read it again, and I want you to try to wrap your mind around what Paul's saying. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That one's pretty straightforward. If I walk in the Spirit, if I am in the Spirit, if I'm a spiritual person, then my, the chances that I will fulfill the lust of my flesh are much lower then. Because the flesh and the Spirit then, I think we could take away from this, the flesh and the Spirit are opposites. You can't be in one place and be in another place at the same time. You can't be in the spirit and walking in the flesh at the same time. That's what Paul's saying. So then he comes to verse 17 and says, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that you would. Uh, what the flesh wants goes against what the spirit wants. What the spirit wants goes against what the flesh wants. So what your body and your sin nature desire is exactly the opposite of what the spiritual part of you should desire. He says they lust against each other or they fight against the, each other. They are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. What, what he's saying is they, they're butting heads to the point that they cancel each other out. What you could say here is you've got flesh on one hand, spirit on the other hand, and they're pushing against each other, and they've canceled each other out, what you've created 
is spiritual paralysis. See, I'm pushing with all of my might, with both arms, I'm pushing against the other arm, the other fist. I'm pushing, but there's no movement, right? It's, it's paralysis, there's no movement. That's what the flesh and the spirit do. They, they push against each other to the point you cannot do the things that you would. They're contrary, they're pushing. You couldn't view it from the opposite way and say on one hand, I use tug of war in Sunday school today. I, you know, I have one set of illustrations I use every Sunday for every sermon apparently. But you've got tug of war, you've got somebody over here pulling this direction and somebody over here pulling that direction. And if those two people are of equal strength and they have equal leverage, then nobody's moving. You've ever, you ever seen a tug of war battle that goes on and on and hardly anything gets moved? They're just equally matched. You ever watch a wrestling match where two, two uh, young men are, are going against each other but they're very evenly matched. They have even strength and it's almost like nobody's winning. Spiritual paralysis. If you, if you feed the flesh and you try to feed the spirit at the same time, you become spiritually paralyzed. The Bible says you cannot do the things that you would. All the things that you desire to do are canceled out because the flesh is involved and we're paralyzed. So what does that have to do with music? Well, I talked a few weeks ago about pop music or popular music and how pop music is a result of mass or pop culture. It came about with the invention of technologies that allow our culture and our country to be connected. It started with the radio and then went to the television and now it's internet. And now we're connected, aren't we? We're connected through technology. And so what used to be culturally, uh, region, regionally cultural, I should say, in that there's a, an area or a village or a city that has this certain culture because they're together, now it's been spread and technology has allowed us to be connected in ways that we never were up until about 100 years ago. So now there's this thing, not just a, a regional culture, but now there's a pop culture, a popular culture, a mass culture. Well, pop music is the result of that, mass cult, that pop culture. And you can read this for yourself. Connected pop culture resulted in this mainstream popular music. It was a moneymaker. And people that were entrepreneurs, they saw the opportunity to make money, so they joined forces with mass media, radio, and television to create pop music. It did not exist before. It was created, listen, it was created to appeal to the masses. It was created to make money. So music created to appeal to the masses, to what do you think they created it to appeal do you think that when someone's sitting in a meeting saying, we need to get some music that everyone will like, we'll put it on the radio, we'll sell a bunch of records, people will like it, people will pay for this. Do you think they were saying, we need to target this, that spiritual part of man that wants to be closer to God? Do you think that was involved in that meeting? No, they were looking to create music that would appeal to the flesh. They were looking to create music that would get people's bodies moving. They were looking to create music that would appeal to flesh and emotion. So my question then, if, if pop music exists to appeal to the masses, it was created for entertainment purposes. It was created to feed the flesh. No one argues that. 
But when you read Galatians 5, 16, and 17, you start to clarify this matter because if my flesh wars against my spirit to the point that it creates spiritual paralysis, that means that music with a style literally created to appeal to the flesh is not profitable for me as a Christian. And I know that's not popular and that may be hard to hear. Let me say it one more time. Galatians 5.16 clarifies this matter because if my flesh wars against my spirit to the point that it creates spiritual paralysis, that means that music with a style that was literally created to feed the flesh is not profitable for me as a Christian. It's not spiritually profitable. This is an easy application against secular music. I mean, it doesn't take much to to look at secular music and say it's produced to appeal to the flesh. I mean, if even, you know, especially if you look at the lyrics, but even take out the lyrics, no one's producing music in the secular realm that, that, that doesn't get people moving. That's what they're trying to do. The pop music is trying to get people to move. It's appealing to the body. It's targeting the emotions. You cannot be as spiritual as you ought to be if you have a steady intake of music that is targeting your flesh. It's kind of like eating what you want rather than what's good for you. See, a steady diet of ice cream. I mean, who doesn't want to eat a steady diet of ice cream? Maybe you don't like maybe you don't like ice cream because you're not saved or you're not American or something. But I don't know whatever your reason is. Maybe you don't like ice cream. But what you put insert your own vice. Okay, we all like sweets to some extent. You say, well, I don't like sweets either. Well, you're you're not human, so this message doesn't apply to you. So if 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 what I if I eat what I want, then I'll probably just eat sweets. I'll probably just eat stuff that tastes good, but isn't so good for me. So what I'm talking about tonight is a steady diet. If my steady diet is simply targeting what I prefer, then I cannot be as healthy as I need to be. And the same concept comes together when we think about what we feed ourselves. Not physically, but through our eyes and through our ears. The ear gate. The things that I feed myself either help me or hurt me spiritually. And if the target is the flesh, I cannot be as spiritual as I need to be. See, this principle, I think, could help us rule out not just secular music, which I think it's very obvious that we need to be mindful of the, the intake of secular music, and, but, but I also think it starts to filter out a lot of what you would call mainstream Christian music today. And, and again, I'm not trying to stand up here and tell you what's right or what's wrong, um, it, but I, I just want you to think biblically. That's where we're getting to. We're trying to think biblically. Much of modern Christian music boasts about the fact that it uses the world style of music and, and they, it, while making use of Christian-y spiritual lyrics. Now, some of the lyrics are good. I would say there's a lot of it that's pretty shallow. I would say there's a lot of it that doesn't really resonate with doctrinal, deep doctrinal truth. For instance, you can go to the Christian bookstore and you can pick up a CD or get on your phone and download. On the cover it will say, if you like so-and-so, and it will list a secular artist. 
If you like, and I'm not, I don't, I'm not even going to say a group, I don't know all of them or many of them, but if you like so-and-so group, if you like this secular artist, then you sure are going to like our sound. So they actually use that as a selling point. And they say that we have taken that, the musical style, the part of the music that really appeals to the flesh, the part of the music that sounds like the world's music styles, and we've adopted that or adapted that, and we've made the, the lyrics more Christian so that it's okay for you as a Christian. And what that's saying is, if your flesh likes the, that kind of music, the kind of music that the world puts out, but you want lyrics to sound somewhat like a Christian, then buy this music. And it sounds like a great formula. It sounds like something that everyone should think, well, this is a great compromise. But if you read Galatians 5.17, and you read that combining elements of the spirit and elements of the flesh, it doesn't equal some great formula that gives you the best of both worlds. What it does, it, it creates spiritual paralysis. So they say this is a great formula and, and you need to follow this formula because then you can have the music that you like and the music that you want and the, the style that everybody's listening to but the lyrics aren't going to hurt you. This is a great formula but what it's doing is creating spiritual paralysis in many, many Christians. This kind of filters out a lot of what I would say a lot of the modern Christian music out there. I mean, if pop music was literally produced to feed the flesh... No wonder that Christians spiritually struggle when every day they're spending hours listening to music that claims to be Christian but makes use of the same musical styles designed to entertain the masses. If pop music or country music or rock music are produced to appeal to the flesh and, and certain emotions, no wonder that Christians are struggling to be spiritual if they're listening to music that has decent lyrics but employs those same musical elements. And can I say it even this, um, in a church setting, no wonder that we're losing uh, young people and, old, and older folks alike because they come in and the music doesn't do anything for them anymore. Because the music that they're feeding themselves through the week is so stimulating their flesh that when they come in here, there's not really a taste for music that doesn't appeal to the body. And we're, and we're starting to, to lose our young people to this thought process that, well, if we combine the two together, it's a formula. Well, at least the young people will listen to it um, because it's the kind of music that they like and will help them. We'll know what we're doing is we're paralyzing the next generation. And you say, but I enjoy that kind of music. Hey, in a vacuum, I enjoy that kind of music. If I'm, if I'm being honest and, and I, if I was just to let, just listen to something that the world puts out, I mean, it, it could get me moving. And that's a dangerous proposition. You don't want to see that. You say, I enjoy that kind of music. Well, of course you do. I mean, a lot of people like it. it it's appealing. It, it wouldn't be a multi-billion dollar industry if just a few people liked it. But in what other areas of your Christian life do you determine what's right or wrong based solely on the guidance of your flesh? And I know that's a tough question. 
I, I've not drawn any lines. I'm just trying to ask you, ask yourself the question, in what other area of my life do I determine my direction based on the guidance of what my flesh is saying, then this is what you need. I mean, I'd prefer to sleep in instead of read my Bible every morning. But I can't allow my flesh to call the shots if I still expect to be spiritual. I'd prefer to respond when someone says something to me that I don't like or insults me, but I can't do that and expect to have spiritual responses and integrity. Listen, you won't be spiritual if you make a habit out of feeding your flesh. So what we've done here tonight, and this is what I wanted you to see, there's a process involved here. The process is that you find a verse with a general application. See, Galatians 5, 16 and 17 does not give a specific application. It's talking about big picture, it's talking about spirit, and it's talking about flesh. It doesn't say, here's the area that we're applying this tonight. So you find a verse with general application, check, we've done that. Then you articulate it like a principle or as a principle, and then you apply it then to your music. So the process that I would go through when reading Galatians 5, 16 and 17 is, I would, okay, there's no application, it's a general application. So then I would state it as a principle. And what I, the way that I would rephrase this in a way that I can understand is, I can't feed my flesh and be spiritual at the same time. I can't feed my flesh and be spiritual at the same time. I mean, there's no arguing. I think that's a pretty good, succinct way to say it. I can't feed my flesh and expect to be spiritual at the same time. So then now what I would do is take, through, go through the process. I've stated it as a principle, and now I will apply it to my music. So what I would, the way that I would say this is I will choose to only listen to music that doesn't utilize the world's music styles. Because I know that the music styles of the world are targeting the flesh. So I will only utilize or listen to music that does not utilize the world's music styles. So do you see the process? You find a principle, it's got a general application, you restate it in principle form, and then you apply it to your music. Here's another one. Let's look over at 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, we'll read two verses here. It's over to the right from where you were in Galatians. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. As obedient children, verse 14. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy... So be ye holy in all manner of conversation. And then the thought finishes, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Peter, though, says there in verse 15 at the end of it, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Conversation doesn't mean our speech. It actually means our behavior. It means our lifestyle. Every area of our lives is to be set apart from the world to God. Okay, can we all agree that's what it's saying? I mean, we're talking about holiness here. Few would say, I don't know of anybody that would say that this verse is about music. But my question to you tonight is, why can't it be? Because it says, be holy in what? All manner of conversation. So would you say then, 
If conversation means my lifestyle or my behavior, would you say then that the music that a person listens to falls under the category of all manner of conversation? Would you say that? Yeah, I would too. Few of us would, yes. So here's what you do then. You study holiness. Study holiness and before you study music and then apply the things you learn about being holy to your music philosophy. You say, well, that sounds like a lot of work. Hey, listen, 35 hours a week. Everywhere I go, it's, it's playing in the restaurant, it's playing in the store, and I need to know where I stand. I ought to be willing, if that's what it takes, I ought to be willing to study holiness from the Bible and then start applying the principles of holiness to my music. He says, as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy. Holy means other than. That means whatever the world is, Christ is not. If this is the world, then Jesus Christ is over here every time. And, and we are to be as holy as he is, not walking as close to the line as possible. But if the world is over here, then if I'm holy in all manner of conversation, then I'm going to be all the way over here. I mean, every area of our lives needs to be other than. It needs to be distinct, including our music. I mean, even if you listen to music with Christian lyrics... The question I have tonight is, does the music itself, is it distinct from the world's music sounds? I mean, if it's not, so I'm not even telling you where to draw your line. What I'm saying is, if the music on your iPhone or your iPod, if it sounds like the world's music, then would you be able with a clear conscience to say, well, that music is holy. That music is other than that music is not like anything that you'd find out playing on somebody's secular playlist. See, again, I'm not drawing the line for you. I'm trying to get you to ask some probing questions because what I think is happening in our country, and I don't know, I'm not even accusing anybody, but I think our churches are full of people that are spiritually paralyzed because they're, the music that they're pouring into their lives Every single day, it, you know, we want to be spiritual, but if my flesh is being fed and I'm not being holy in my music, I cannot please God like I'm supposed to. And you say, well, I just, my music is my thing and I don't really want anybody touching it. I understand that, but there shouldn't be any room in your house that God doesn't have the key to, including our music. I know this is personal. Plenty of modern Christian music says, but it's the lyrics that count. As long as the lyrics are other than, then the music itself, that, you know, the music, that's not really what appeals to me. I listen to this music for the lyrics. That's what a lot of them say. And, and, but I don't necessarily believe that's true because if you took the same lyrics to someone's favorite modern Christian song and you put them to the music of a church hymn, just a piano playing, do you still think it would be a top seller on iTunes? Probably not. It's about the music. The lyrics need to be holy, but the music does as well. If you're going to be holy in all manner of conversation, then just the sound of your music should be distinct. I mean, if your music is turned up in your vehicle and you pull up to a stoplight and someone in the car next to you can just hear the music, but not the lyrics, would they say, hmm, well, that sounds different than any music I've heard today. That doesn't sound like most of the other music out there. Would they say that? You know, if you would take this principle of holiness 
and apply it to your daily life, I, w- I believe it wouldn't just change what you listen to. I think if you would sh- seriously, Eastside Baptist Church, we're Bible believers, we're Bible studiers, we need to know what we believe, but if you were to take holiness as a subject and start to study it, I believe it would change more than just your music. I think it would start to impact the things that you watch. I think it would start to impact the things that you say. It would start to change the clothing that you wear, maybe. It would change or affect the places that you go. It might even start to impact the people that you spend most of your time around. And I'm not even thinking about individuals. I'm just saying, if, we were, as we're, if we're Bible believers, which we say we are, then we need to study holiness and we need to apply it to our lives. Find a verse with general application, articulate the principle, then apply it to your music. So what he says here, we found 1 Peter 1, 14, 15, 16. Here's the truth of the principle. Here's how I would state it. Every area of my life should reflect God's holiness. Every area of my life should reflect God's holiness. So the application to music then would be, I will subject my music to God's holiness, not my preferences or cultural trends. I will subject my music to God's holiness, not just my preferences, not just cultural trends. And listen, if I was to take that principle, every area of my life should reflect God's holiness. And before I make any decision, I say that to myself. You know, I think it starts to affect the way that we live. Wait a second. Okay, this is coming on. And, and, and I could choose to watch it or this commercial is popping up and I could choose to sit here and take it in. But every area of my life should reflect God's holiness. Can you see how the Bible is very practical? The Bible isn't just intangible. The Bible's not out of date. It's not out of touch. It's not irrelevant. The Bible very clearly gives us principles that if we will apply not just to our music, but to every part of our life, I think it starts to change the way that we live. And I could go through, I've got, I think, eight principles or eight verses listed here that I could go through and we could see how this process works. And I haven't laid them all out, but my goal today, listen, is to give you a look at the process. It's to help you see how to take a Bible principle with no clear application, state it in principle form, then apply it to your music. See, the truth is, you can walk through this process on your own. And when I preach to teenagers, I tell them very often, you have a Bible and you have a brain. So it's time for you to search God's word. And in your own time, teenagers, search God's word and use your Bible and use your own brain and start to come up with your philosophies on music and dress and life in general on your own. You don't have to have somebody just stand up here and tell you that stuff. If you've got a Bible and you've got a brain, those are two very solid resources that you can use for yourself. But I don't think it just applies to the young people, folks. You have a Bible. We live in America. and You probably have more Bibles than you can hold in your hands. And you've also got a brain. So there's no reason that while you're reading your Bible and studying your Bible that you can't come to some of these things on your own. Honestly, the only reason that you wouldn't is if 
it's a stronghold in your heart that you just can't get rid of. And if that's the case, then we need to deal with another matter. That's not what I'm talking about tonight. I'm trying to give you a principle, a process with a verse and a principle and an application so that you can make these decisions for yourselves. So the point tonight is don't exempt music from basic principles that we apply to other things just because it doesn't say music. And again, I haven't drawn clear lines. I haven't challenged you to search the Bible, state the principle, and apply it to music. Part of spiritual maturity is the ability to walk through this process and decide, is this spiritually helpful? Is the music that I'm listening to, is it helping me spiritually? Is it profitable for me spiritually? Will you subject your music to these Bible principles? Are you, I mean, I know it's scary to do that. I know it's scary to say, God, yes, I will lay these out. And if, you're, if the word of God as a filter filters out some of the things I'm listening to, I'd be willing, God, to let go of some of these things. That's a big step. That's a tough place to get to. But I'm asking you tonight, are you willing to subject your music to the Bible? If we're Bible believers... If we're Bible studiers, if we stand firm on the Bible, there should be no area of our life that we're not willing to lay out and let God examine for us from his word. Listen, it's not so much tonight about what's right or what's wrong. It is asking ourselves questions like this. What is best for me spiritually? And I pray that you'd subject your music to these principles and make a spiritual decision. I'm not telling you what songs to delete. I'm not even saying bring your, bring your phone to me this week and I'll go through and I'll delete the ones that aren't helpful to you. That's not the point. No, you take your Bible and apply it to your music and then decide. Ask yourself questions like this. How spiritual do I want to be? How spiritual do I have a desire to be? Here's another question. How useful to God do I want to be? How mature do I want to be? How much of Jesus Christ do I want to reflect? See, these aren't right or wrong questions. This is you confronting yourself with how far you want to take this thing. And if you say, well, I grew up around this music. It's the music I'm comfortable with. It speaks to me. It helps me. And I just don't think I, that's fine. I'm not asking you to. But what I would ask you is how spiritual do you want to be? See, if you start asking yourself questions like that, it starts to filter out some of the things that we can excuse as the gray areas. How spiritual do I want to be? How mature do I want to be? Uh, how useful to God do I want to be? How much of Jesus Christ do I want to reflect? These are big questions. But all questions we should ask ourselves, those kind of questions provide the best kind of answers because you're not just subjecting something like music to what you prefer it becomes suddenly about something much bigger than your tastes. It becomes something much bigger than what you like the most. It starts to get into the area of, no, how far do you want to take your spiritual life with God? How content are you where you are? It becomes about something bigger than right or wrong or, or what is my preference it starts to take it from the realm of just the basic practical and it starts to get us to think on a deeper level. 
So tonight, I've given you a simple process. Find a general Bible principle with no applications mentioned. State it in principle form that helps you in your daily life. It could help you. And then apply it to your music. And I think if we start doing that, then the work, the Holy Spirit starts to do the work through his word on our own. And I don't have to stand up here and tell you what's wrong and what's right. The Holy Spirit uses the Bible to do that in your own Bible reading. In your own daily living. You see, if you are to live based on what someone stands there and tells you, no, this is good, this is bad, this is good, this is bad, then as soon as that person is gone, then you're lost. But if you will, with your own Bible and your own brain, figure out how to come to these conclusions on your own, then I don't need to be around to tell you. Nobody else needs to be around to tell you. Teenagers, your parents don't have to be around to tell you. You can do it on your own through God's word and the leading of his Holy Spirit. Let's stand. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.